Welcome back. In the last episode, I forgot to share why Tim's episode was number six. I picked it after the number of electrons in his favorite element on the periodic table, carbon. I heard that guest in this episode speak for the first time at my first faculty meeting at the Boca campus, I think some three years ago. He was wearing an awesomely funky shirt and had a pair of sunglasses draped around his neck or his head, I can't quite remember. What I do remember is his email. He introduced himself and spoke for a little while about the PTLC and invited everyone to reach out to him if one wanted to give a PTLC presentation or a talk. Rossman D at palmbeachstate.edu. Ross, like the store, man like a man, and then D at palmbeachstate.edu. Simple, effective, and memorable. I immediately pigeonholed him as a speech professor. In my head, there was nothing else he could be in that moment. And then, for an even briefer moment, I became extremely self-aware and self-conscious of my own email address and my last name and how I had no simple or cool way to break it down the way he had. My parents had failed to prepare me for when I needed to tell a large group of people my email. A swanky shirt, a rad pair of sunnies, an easy to remember email address. Some people really, really, really have it all. I had planned to reach out to him, but he was also recommended by a few people I had interviewed already for this podcast. One of my students called him the cool cucumber. You may know him as Dave. Hello there, Mr. Dave. Oh, hey, Anurag. How are you? Not too bad. Yourself? Oh, I'm great, buddy. I thought maybe I was in the wrong room. How is How are you going? Not too bad. Oh, you have a green shirt. Yes. Is that good Kim, or bad? Kim made me... No, no, no. In the last episode, I don't know if you had a chance to hear it yet, but uh, Kim Copeland was the, I guess, the interviewee or the subject in the last episode, and she made mm-hmm. me realize that I don't have a single green shirt. So now uh-huh. I'm, I'm, I'm basically, everyone looks like they have a green shirt on just to, to get out to me. Yeah, I heard this. Actually, I'm thinking of it. This is my only green shirt. This is my one and only here <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I heard. Yeah, you're complimenting her uh, usage of green screen in the one with Kim. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very cool. This is a great idea. This is such a cool concept. I'm glad you thought of me. Well, thank you. All right, I'm, I'm going to get started. Who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? I, I mean, I know what you do, but tell me whatever it is that you want to about yourself. Sure. So uh, Dave Rossman, I am associate professor of speech communication at the Boca campus. I've been there in total now for 14 years, uh, seven as an adjunct, seven as full-time faculty. So that's the professional. Um, let's see what else. Native Floridian. In fact, both sides go back to the early 1900s. My dad's side came to Miami Beach in about 1904. Mom's side to Deerfield Beach in the early 1900s, 1903 to five-ish area, depending on who tells the tale. Um, came from where, if you don't mind me asking? Sure. So my father's people initially are from uh, Northeast, Lowell, Massachusetts. Okay. So they kind of um, worked their way down here. His great-great-grandfather would do summers down here in Miami Beach. And so they just fell in love with it. 
And my great, great grandfather, um, his people came from the deep South in Georgia. And my great, great grandfather worked on East Coast, East Coast railroads. So he would come down here and work and uh, he fell in love with Deerfield Beach. And here we are. Yeah. Very cool. So are you, well, were there any reasons for an exodus from Florida, education, family, a significant other, or anything of, of that sort? Are you born and bred Florida and, and remained here? Born and bred, three generations going deep. Yeah. Um, in fact, the house where I'm doing this from, where my wife and family live now, is the house my grandfather built in 1959. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So That's we did something. a whole reno. Basically, everything ex except the walls was completely redone about uh, three years ago, 17, we did that. So, yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. Going way back. Very, yeah. very cool. I, I don't know if I know anyone that lives in. I don't want to call it an old house, but a house with a house that has stayed in the generations or within the family for, for as long a period of time as yours has. Yeah, uh, it's rare. And it had no central AC, old jealousy windows, um, mm -hmm. you know, just one little wall unit AC in it, um, wood paneling, these deep. It was wild, too. because <laughs> I'd, come, I'd come to this house my whole life and it always had this really deep, like red shag carpet that was all mm -hmm. the rage back then. And so our plan was to, you know, redo the floors. They ripped this carpet off and it's beautiful hardwood floors, the original hardwood flooring. <laughs> then they, for some reason, they put this gnarly red shag carpet all over it. So they, they pulled that carpet up. Oh my goodness. Look at it. It's Dade County Pine, beautiful wood flooring. So yeah, wow. we were set. Yeah. That yeah, went well. It's, it's nice when you can save money. And, you know, normally we, we looked when my significant other and I bought this apartment we thought about going hardwood, but then the thought of having to maintain it and just the cost was prohibitive for us. Yes. Uh, we, oh, yeah. I really wish that we had taken up the less than desirable tile and had like beautiful hardwood underneath. But yeah, that, that you made it lucky there. Oh, we got so lucky. So fortunate. It's got two huge mango trees out front right now. We're just inundated with mangoes. I got more mangoes. I know what to do with. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where you live, but if you're a mango fan, I've got a ton on the table outside of the house. Feel free to grab some. Maybe I shouldn't say this on a recorded message, but my mom actually smuggled, not smuggled, but <laughs> brought through the airport without getting, without declaring it, uh, a couple of mangoes from India. So ah, the right. mangoes that we ate when I was growing up in India are completely different from any mangoes that you'd, you know, you'd have natively growing in this part of the world. Mm -hmm. So we do have a mango and a lychee tree. Actually, I don't think we have a lychee tree anymore. That might have been taken down. Yeah, I, I think the only tree we have now is the mango tree. And, and we, so if you want to do an exchange of, oh, of mangoes, I'll see a if I can. A little cross-cultural mango action. If I can try awesome. to get some from my mom. I know we're, I was told that my sister was mailed some. So I said, what's going on here? <laughs> I, I, I'm the firstborn. I get the mangoes first. How is it that Anisha, my sister in Virginia is, is getting these mangoes mailed to her. And I'm only now finding out about these things. Seems fundamentally wrong. It, it, it is. It is wrong <laughs> on many, many levels. <laughs> All right. So how... <sighs> Why speech? Why academia? Did you do anything else? Or was mm -hmm. this one of those things that, you know, you, you went to college, university, whatever, and then immediately you go into and say, this is what I want to do? Or were there other uh, bus stops along the way? Oh, boy, so many stops. I, I was envisioning, I knew this would come up. And I was trying to think, how do I even 
it, this is your version, story, so version. you can you can chronicle it however you like. So I'm I'm okay. gonna stop talking and then you take uh, it away. All right. So um, yeah, no no chance in the world that I think I would end up in academia as a professor. Uh, in fact, it's funny when I you know sometimes you run into somebody from 25 years ago because I've lived here my whole life. So you know, and then oh, what do you do now? It's like oh, I'm a professor. Like sorry, seriously, really no. But right, right. Because I tend to joke around a lot. I'm like, no, but really, I'm, I'm a professor. I'm like, oh, gosh, what school must that be, right? Um, so my path was kind of like that all over the place. So grew up down here. I went to what was then Broward Community College after graduating Coconut Creek High School. So that would have been 1993. Um, how can I say it? Um, I wasn't dedicated, I guess. I could say it um, mildly. I was one of the um, go-to-school-or-pay-rent kids. That was my parents' line in the sand, so I did, uh, but just didn't take it seriously. Um, my transcripts from those years, there's no vowels. It's a lot of consonants, uh, lower variety, yes. I did manage to get, I did eat out a C in volleyball, though, which is pretty cool in my early years. Hey, it works. <laughs> yeah, it did. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of bounced around Broward Community College for a little bit. I moved up to... Uh, Brevard County with my parents for a little bit and went to Brevard community for a couple semesters, same vibe, not taking it seriously, dropping classes, doing poorly. Uh, I just, I thought I knew everything. I was one of those, um, you know, uh, cliched know-it-alls that you couldn't tell anything to. So I don't need college. I know what I'm doing in my life. So I just left and started just doing some odd jobs, um, kind of fell in with uh, not the best crowd and started making some really, really poor life decisions without getting too much into the nitty gritty of it, but sure. um, took me off of life's beaten path for a couple of years. And I had a couple of really tough years, um, mainly substance abuse issues. I don't mind disclosing that. Um, sometimes we don't talk about these things enough, I think. Um, and also had some you know, mental health issues going on at the time. So they were kind of part and parcel of the same deal. <clears throat> uh, so it was a rough couple of years, um, but luckily I found my way out of it. And looking back now, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, I had no direction. I had no goals in life. I was 24 with, with 12 community college credits under my belt, no stable job, um, no life to speak of. And so I kind of got my fanny kicked <clears throat> by that quote unquote uh, real world. So I came back to college very humbled. And now I really wanted it. I realized I didn't know anything <laughs> in life. Uh, so it was a very humbling experience. Uh, so then I came back and I actually went to what was then Palm Beach Community College in Gardens. And that's actually where I got my AA from in Gardens. Um, so I got my AA from Gardens and then I went to FAU, still really not knowing what I wanted to do. Uh, I knew I loved to speak and I knew I loved to write. I've always loved those two things. So I started taking comm classes and English classes. Initially, I was an English major with a comm minor. But after I started taking more comm classes, that flipped to where I became a comm major with an English minor. So I got my BA, or I'm approaching getting my BA, and I realized I didn't know first what I wanted to do, and second what I was <laughs> what I was qualified to do with that degree. <laughs> okay, so I'm a, I have a comm major and an English minor. What does that do for me? <laughs> so that's where I was with that. So my next decision was a master's degree. Obviously, I don't know what I want to do. I'm going to stay in school. So then I uh, did my master's. And as I was doing that, I was a graduate teaching assistant and taught a few sections of public speaking. And it, it was terrifying at first. Just, oh my, gut-wrenching, terrifying. But I really started to like it. Talk really, me through your first day in, in graduate school teaching. What was that like? 
I, I, I very, I, I have a very vivid memory of walking into my first ever class. Yeah. So I'm curious if you have, you know, something that just sticks out in your head from that time. And oh, you can go I? back to, to your story. Oh, I'm glad you asked that. I have, um, it's actually, I tell this story the first day of class. Classes now, when I'm going over syllabus and anxiety, I remember it vividly because as quickly as I walked in that room as a GTA to teach, I walked right back out of it. So I come in the room. Like you actually got, walked in and then walked out? Oh, I left after maybe like two minutes. So I came in. So this is not like you mentally walking in and then checking out. You, you physically yeah. left the room. This is physically walking in, thinking you're ready for something, having your syllabus, feeling prepared, seeing 28 strangers look up at you. And this is what really tweaked me. There were two students in that class that we were just taking classes with. So we were working on our BA together in December. <laughs> so I come up there and I see the two of these out here. I'm like, And they look at each other doing this. What, he's what? Is that the guy? I'm like, uh, gone. I was out the door. Like two minutes. I really don't know what I said to them. Like, I, my stomach hurts. My toe hurts. It's raining. I have no umbrella. Take care. I have to go now. And I was really, I came home and I was, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I got no way. No way. Uh, but luckily, I had some people in my life at the time that knew me that said, maybe you can, maybe you can't. But if you quit, you'll never beat, you'll beat yourself up for it forever. You can't. You have to at least do the semester. Thankfully, Absolutely. they were in my life. And I did. And it worked out from there. But it, oh, yeah. Do I remember my first day? Vividly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a mess. That's really what got me with those two students that we were just in class with really, what, three weeks prior? Mid-December, you get your BA. Now it's January 4 or 5 or whatever. Yeah. So I, I walked in and I, I introduced myself. I, I went over the syllabus and then I, I mentioned it, I think either to Kim or to Rhonda, uh, one of the two, uh, two of them, where I said that public speaking for me before I met my significant other, uh, and even now feels like my brain is on fire. Everything, <laughs> I, I go blank and everything like above my ears starts burning yes. and ears get hot. My head visibly gets red. Yep. And I, I remember the first day of class, I walked in overprepared. You know, mm. if a student asks me this question, I will answer this. You know, I, I had made an Excel spreadsheet of every single question that could have come up <laughs> in that first lecture. <laughs> and, you know, I had planned for every single contingency. And I forgot which class I was there for. <laughs> I have the syllabus in front of me. I can read yeah. college algebra, but it, yeah. you know, the words or the letters for college algebra are not getting transitioned to my head or I'm not recognizing them as, oh, college algebra. I have to start with linear equation, whatever the hell it, I needed to start with. Yeah. But I, I drew a blank. And then one of the students said, are you new? <laughs> that made it worse. And you didn't have that in the Excel sheet that wasn't there. No, that I, I didn't <laughs> think anyone was going to, I mean, I had concentrated purely on mathematical questions that yeah. if a student says, well, why would you do that? Then I would say this and it would be a cool snarky answer, but then everyone would laugh. And, you know, I had planned out for things to go as well as they would have, hmm. but I had no inclination that I would just freeze and not remember what I was there to do. Yep. And after the student said, are you new? And I visibly, presumably, started getting worse. Uh, the class said, oh, it's okay. We've never taken this class earlier, or we've never taken this class before. And then one of the students in the back raised his hand and said, I have. And that kind of 
broke the tension, you know, the surface tension of the water was broken. So then I was able to go back and say, oh, college algebra, that's what that means. I can teach this. I, I, I know yeah. it at least. And it's amazing, uh, right? Once you get that quick snap back yeah. into your consciousness, you're good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So sorry for the detour. Back to no, please, uh, please. You're, you're in a master's program. And then what happens? Yeah. Uh, so I was doing the master's program. Um, and I knew I wanted to write or speak. So I got a job right towards the end of my master's during the day with a local community newspaper uh, that was owned by the Tribune Company. Uh, so on the forum publications, I don't think they have them as much. It used to be like every city had a weekly paper, Creek, Pines, and it was sure. forum publications. Um, so just a foot in the door gig. So I started doing that. I started teaching at, once I got my master's as an adjunct at night. So I was doing the adjunct circuit. I mean, everywhere, as we all know how that mm -hmm. circuit runs. I was furthest north I went was a class in Green Acres off Okeechobee and I think the Jog at some high wow. school. And the furthest south I went was to Miramar. Um, so those, I mean, I remember one day I went to Miramar when I was supposed to be up in Green Acres. Yep. And I got there and I get to the room. I'm, oh, I'm, I mean, I'm going to the room. It hasn't hit me yet. I'm upstairs. Yep. I'm looking at the door. I grab it. What? And I, oh, no. It's supposed to be Green Acres. Oh, no. Um, yeah, I didn't so, that the same thing happened to me. I didn't get to the campus, but I was supposed to be at Broward at the time. Yeah. And but so I was teaching at Broward and Coconut Creek and also Lake Worth, Palm Beach State. Mm -hmm. I was supposed to be either at Broward or no, I was supposed to be at Lake Worth that evening. I was one exit away on the turnpike from the Coconut Creek uh, exit. And I was like. Uh, this feels weird. It doesn't feel like I've had enough time away from the Broward people. Meaning, yeah. you know, I, I had just, I had class on Wednesday and let's say the next day is Friday. It, it feels temporarily too close to the Wednesday people. And I kept driving, kept driving, took the exit to Coconut Creek and then realized that that's when I had that clicky moment of, I need to call some department chairs and, and tell them I don't <laughs> think I'm going to be making it to class on time. But see, at least you, you didn't get out of the vehicle. I had my hand no, on the door. No, I, I the didn't, classroom. but I don't know if that's any better. <laughs> so, but, yeah, I guess that's a common thing. We're yeah. just doing that circuit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, did, I was doing the writing. And then I was doing that for about two years, adjuncting at night. And you know, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to bash any industry profession, but after a few years in the, the media journalism game, I realized it just wasn't for me. Um, and I really started to focus on the What the about it? Not, not to say that. I'm asking you to bash them, but was there anything yeah. in particular or was it just a general accumulation of frustration? You know, it's just, it's, it it's my, oh, I'm sorry. It's still my big beef for them today. I teach a media class and we talk a lot about this. It's just the, I don't like covering despair. I don't, I don't want to go to someone's funeral who's burying a child and ask them questions about how they feel or try to sensationalize things and scare people and focus on the worst aspects of the human animal, which unfortunately is what sells papers and gets people sure. to tune in. So I understand that's the reality, but I just didn't want to be a part of it. It's just, do you, you think, know, that kind of to, to play the devil's advocate, do you think there's a place for it at all? Or is it just something that that's not for you? And then someone else, I don't want to say is welcome to do it, but mm -hmm. do you think that there's a place for it period? Or do you think that it should not, not, not be discussed, mm. not necessarily not be discussed, but not be reported on. Right. No, I think there's definitely a place for it. And I, I right. think that for several reasons. First, I'm a, a first amendment purist. 
Second, there's clearly a market for it, right? We're a market-driven system. Clearly, people want it. It's the product sure. they're tuning most into. So, yeah, I think there's definitely a place and a space for it. Um, just, just definitely, it's not for me. It's okay. not my scene. Like when Fair I was enough. working, I kept wanting to report on um, nonprofits and philanthropy and all this stuff. My editor, like, all right, you wrote two stories last week about nonprofits. <laughs> could, could we maybe look at a like, yeah, but there's this other cool group, and here's what they're doing. Like, I, I get it, I get it, but you know, no, and just you know. Yeah, it just it just really wasn't for me. Uh, right. After about two, three, three and a half years, I knew. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then so this, you're okay. Oh, no, I was going to say, so you're no longer at this newspaper. Mm-hmm. Then what happens? So then it's a matter of trying to land this gig, which finally I was fortunate enough to do. I uh, interviewed a couple of times with uh, Broward. I mm-hmm. had two interviews with them. Um, I was the second option both times. Uh, and I got to give a shout out to my boy freshman here for a minute too. Cause, uh, I, so I interviewed twice with Broward. I was still doing the newspaper cause I had to have an income. Sure. And I, I, you know, I got rejected twice and I was very despondent and, you know, freshman was my department chair. I was the adjunct and I, I came into his office and I was like, look, I don't know if I can teach next semester. Like I'm tw- now at that time I was now, geez, 30, I guess, my goodness, 35, 36. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at myself and I'm saying, okay, I haven't landed this thing twice. I've got this little community newspaper gig. I need to transition into something substantial. I need to start looking at that big career thing. So I kind of came to his office and said, look, I don't know. I need to start focusing on other things. And he basically said, no, no, you're not. You need to keep your foot in the door here. Even if that means teaching just one class a semester, sure. you know, you, you got, you got to keep your foot in the door here because you never know things open up, people transfer, things happen. And then from that conversation, I think it was within a year, year and a half, I had the full-time gig. That's awesome. So yeah, that's, that's how it all went down. Yeah. So I owe Dr. Frischman the debt of gratitude for sure. All right. His name has come up. I don't think I've ever met him. Uh, oh, no? I, I know. I don't think I have. I, I, well, you're here in your intro later, but uh, the first time I saw you or I met you, not necessarily in person, but. Uh, you walked into my first faculty meeting at the Boca campus uh, when I got hired. You know, I was wearing pants in that day. Uh, that's how vividly I remember that. That you know, I, I went into my first faculty member or faculty meeting thinking, you know, I, I, everyone needed to be dressed up, and then you walked in, I think, wearing a pair of shorts and a and a funky T-shirt. And it's like, oh, uh, okay. That that sounds about right. And yeah, then I, right. I use your argument as a meat shield ever since. But uh, <laughs> well, you, know, you had walked in and you had introduced yourself. So I knew who you were. And then we mm-hmm. spoke a couple of times through PTLC talks. But yeah. no, I don't think I've ever had the pleasure of, of either meeting uh, or even talking with uh, Mr. Is it doctor or Mr. Doctor. Mm-hmm. Dr. Frischman. Hopefully one yeah. day. Yeah, you would, you would know if you did. He's a live right. wire. Yeah, you don't you don't walk away from the fresh without knowing you were there. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, he's good people. Yeah. All right, cool. That's funny you mentioned the 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 attire and stuff, because um Rybar, John Rybar, he always busts my chops about that. He'll be coming down the hall sometimes to his class, and the first thing he'll do is look at my footwear and say, Oh, awesome. the sandals again, the sandals. <laughs> so yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Well, I guess this is as good a time as any to to bring this topic in. I, I had I shared a wonderful student, and I won't give her away. Uh, she she felt terribly embarrassed after I asked her, but I hmm. I walked into class one day, and a group of students were talking about a professor that they had, and they were talking 
very kindly about this individual. And then eventually the, the description was, so imagine, okay, so I walk in, they're talking. I say, okay, this person sounds fantastic. Who, who is this person? And the person was about to give uh, the individual's name and they said, no, 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 hold on. Tell him the description again. Okay, fine. And then the young student started saying, imagine you're at the beach and it's really hot outside, like 85 degrees, but it's a nice breeze blowing and, you know, everyone's in the water or whatever. And then you see uh, someone on a beach chair or somewhere, I don't know, sitting at a bar. I, I forget what the exact details were. But mm -hmm. imagine having someone sitting there in a, in a straw hat and a floral shirt or something of the sort. Uh, wearing a pair of sandals and shorts, and the guy is reading a book. Mm -hmm. And then you walk up to him, and then tattooed across his forehead is the, is the phrase, cool cucumber. Huh. <laughs> I said, this is a very vividly described person. <laughs> I don't know anyone that has that tattooed across their forehead, but who, who is this person? And they said, oh, Dave Rossman. How do you not know the cool cucumber? I don't know if cool you're familiar. Cucumber. I don't know if you're familiar with your all. nickname or the, the underground nickname that, that students have for you, but uh, you are <laughs> affectionately, I think, known as the cool cucumber, that's, at I least in my calculus classes. I, I, I yeah. think so. <laughs> that's very cool. That is awesome. I love it. <laughs> so one of the questions that I had was this sartorial sense of yours. Where does that come from? Is it just so, that's you or is there a, a, a conscious choice behind it? I think it really is um, kind of an offshoot and development of those tough years I went through, mm -hmm. um, you know, that three, four year period. Um, you know, prior going into that, I thought I knew what was important, you know, all these little things and minutia and all this stuff. But, you know, I got my fanny kicked and I got really, really humbled. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, when something comes up these days or really ever since then, I just kind of, I look at that time and it's just a reference point. It's, you know, if I can do that, I can get through that. Like that, that, that was really hard and really big, big sure. life or death stuff. Right. So if I can get through and navigate all of that, then certainly, you know, whatever this little thing is right here, we can certainly get through as well. I think part of it is also just naturally, I think I've always been um, rather laid back. Like I grew up here and, you know, we were at the beach as a family five, six days a week. So sure. I think I just, you know, very early on, I just adopted maybe more the, I don't know, laid back beach surfing type vibe and lifestyle. And that's all my friend circle as well, kind of of the same ilk. But I think I really would more attribute it to just that really rough period I went through, just kind of, you know, opened my eyes as to what really is important and what really matters. So, and I don't know how, how, how far deep you want to go in this, but the next question that I'm thinking of is, do you think that there's a way or how would one who perhaps hasn't had the same life experiences as you get to mm -hmm. the same stage of, of being, I would say more evolved and saying, uh, I don't necessarily think that the measure of a good instructor is, you know, whether their shoes are shined or whether mm -hmm. they're wearing patent leather shoes or not. I think uh, you could wear patent leather shoes that are shiny and you could see your face in them and be an excellent instructor, but you can also wear flip-flops and sandals. And uh, so how do you think that it's necessary to go through the experiences that you had in order to come on the other side and say, Hey, this is you know, small potatoes. No one should care about these things. Um, yeah. 
So I guess that's the first question. Do you think that that needs to happen before someone can stop taking things so seriously, perhaps? No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so at all. I mean, I know some people in my life with a very similar mindset. And um, one good buddy in particular, I think how he's come to it is just he's traveled a lot. He's been okay. all around the world, you know, so many countries. And, you know, some of the things he's seen have kind of really grounded him. You know, some of the things we gripe about here are, oh, my latte, it doesn't have the right <laughs> foam size or, you know, whatever ridiculous gripe we may be involved in at the moment. I think some of the things he's seen, that's kind of his reference point, which is, all right, come on. So I think he's come to it just from so much life experience and travel mm -hmm. and, you know, encountering unique groups of people and different shared experiences. So no, I definitely don't think you have to go through some, you know, trauma or some traumatic experience to come out the other side with that. And I love what you say about, you know, the attire, because I've heard you speak a few times and like you and I are very similar in our approach, which is one, I like students to call me by my name. That's sure. one thing, right? Right away. Call me Dave. Call where me where does that come from for you? That's just, that's just me. I don't know. All just right. to hear like, I don't know. It just sounds very like, especially <laughs> like Mr. Rossman. I'd be, I'd be better with professor than Mr. For sure. I like Mr. Sure. Rossman's just not me at all. Um, and I've just always been Dave or Rossman. My friends, nobody calls me Dave. Very seldom do I actually hear Dave. It's Rossman, Rossman. Um, so and I think from what I've heard you say, and I agree, it just kind of breaks the tension a bit. I think it kind Absolutely. of brings you, right? Kind of to hear. And then I think the attire too. I have students sometimes tell me, and I like, it just kind of makes them feel a bit more at ease too. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause that's such a nerve wracking class to get up and speak. So when they look at me, I might be in my chillin' floral shirt with all the colors and the flowers and my sandals. So I think there's a little bit of disarming, you know, kind of that goes on there. Uh, so I think you and I are really similar, you know, obviously the subject matter is rather divergent, but as far as the approach. I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I would agree, but, even though the subject matter is different, I think the thought of uh, giving a speech in a speech class, especially if you're not comfortable doing that sort of thing and giving a presentation in a math class, at least in theory and perhaps the, at their lowest common denominator, it's the same activity. You have to stand up in front of a group of people and potentially be judged or criticized. Uh, yep. And I think it's necessary uh, to try to make it a, a comfortable environment so that students don't feel as nervous. But I don't know if that works or not. It seems to be working. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. It's the best, you know, they come in that room, you see it on them. Some of them walk in with it, that tension, they're mm -hmm. just a little ball. And they, you know, they might sit down, they, they're really small, like they don't want to bump into people. Uh, and to, to, to see that student throughout a semester start sitting more upright, coming out of their shell to start participating, uh, there's nothing better. I absolutely love it. That really is the most rewarding thing to see a student who maybe, you know, first day sits in the way back, doesn't even uh, talk to anybody. And by, you know, the last class, their speech is incredible. They're answering questions with poise. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I love it. All right. To, to move to a slightly different track, uh, mm -hmm. what about teaching or academia in general, depending on how broad you are or, or narrow you want it to be? Uh, do you dislike? Oh, I dislike. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I dislike things that are completely out of my control, I guess, which, um, Fair. you know, the decisions that are made, uh, you know, from, but it's such a multifaceted issue. Um, I guess everything in the classroom I love. <laughs> <laughs> walk a very fine line here. Um, <laughs> no, you don't have to say anything you don't need to or you don't want to. Yeah, uh, I, I there's a couple of I, I don't know if you're a sports fan, but 
Shannon Sharp, he played in the NFL for a whole bunch of years. Dennis sure. Rodman played in the NBA. Uh, they both have a saying that's been attributed to them that we would play the game for free. You know, I would play football for free or I would play basketball for free. That that's been my entire life on, on mm-hmm. both sides. But the millions of dollars that you pay me are to deal with the media and to deal with the ownership and to deal with, you know, all the other, uh, anything that's off the field or off the court, that that's right. what you're really paying me for. It's so, a good way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. I like that's a good way to look at it. You're right. Uh, and you know, I think I gotta be careful. How I say this too. I think sometimes things that sometimes people complain about in academia are kind of ridiculous too mm-hmm. at times. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. of course there's, pro- there's problems, there's issues, but you know, I think, um, sometimes nitpicking goes on as well. <laughs> sometimes, um, I, I think most times people are just trying to do their best. And most times people have a boss who has a boss who has a boss and it, you know, it comes downhill. So I try to keep an even keel. There, you're a better man than I. I, I go with whatever the wind blows. Yeah, <laughs> I will say I, I, I really love our administrators. I mean, as far as the Boca campus, everyone I deal with, Jairis, you know, Jairis is my immediate supervisor, and mm-hmm. I can't say enough sweet things about her. She's tremendous. She's absolutely tremendous. So yeah, I've been at the Boca campus my whole time. I taught Lake Worth as an adjunct a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I've, I've really dug the Boca campus. I was only an adjunct at Lake Worth, and you know, you don't really get in the fabric of sure. all the minutia. Um, but you know, I've loved my time at Boca. I, I've had, and I have to choose my words carefully here as well. At the Boca campus, my administration, mm-hmm. my supervisor, Dana, Dr. Vargas, Dr. Russell, uh, going all the way up to the provost have been absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Many dots. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I really dig that analogy you provided though. That's you're right. Yeah. I do love what's in the classroom. That part is no problem. So yeah, that's a good way to look at it. All the extraneous things. That's, that's what I'm getting paid for. Yeah. And really, I mean, let's be honest. If you look at a lot of other professions, I don't think we have as many extraneous things to deal with, uh, depending on what you're looking at. I don't think so either. And I, I've, I was a roofing estimator for, I think, two years, out of which one year I really did what I was supposed to. And the second year, I was just like, uh, I don't know if I can do this or I don't know if I can deal with uh, people that don't understand simple mathematics, you know, or or (laughs) simple they just don't have a number sense. So when you give them yeah. a number, they don't compute that seven times eight is 56. There's no way to have seven people working eight hours a day and not pay them for 56 hours. Yeah. You, you yeah. can't pay them for 30 if they're working 56 hours. And it's like, how, how do you not understand this? Yeah. So I, that, yeah. Academia, I, I thought was going to be, I came in with rose-colored glasses, for sure. Mm-hmm. I thought this was going to be everything that I had read about and all my advisors had told me about. Right. Uh, it, it has been a little bit of a rude awakening, but on the whole, I wouldn't trade it for anything else. I, I, yeah, same There's here. nothing else that I'd rather be doing, works and all. No, I couldn't agree more. Just being around you know, the young minds and the, <laughs> the curiosities and just to see all that stuff popping for them. And you know, just, it keeps me energized. I love it. Yeah, sometimes I'd like to just walk the campus sometimes in office hours or between I'll just walk from one end to the other and just, you know, seeing students, whether it's a handshake, a high five, a dab or whatever it is, um, you know, just gets me energized. Sometimes I'll do that before going into a next class. If it's a long day, 
Um, it's much better than a cup of coffee for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Next couple of questions came from the individual who I interviewed before you, uh, and I haven't mm. released her uh, episode yet, so I won't identify her. Okay. What is your favorite book? Ah, uh, Invisible Man, Ellison. I would say. I don't know if I've read it. What's it about without giving it away? Um, basically, um, race, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, how he is basically just invisible in this culture and in this country. Um, and yeah, I read that it was when I was working on my master's. It was, um, and I just remember being deeply affected by it. Um, really, really great book. Um, that's a bit more dated, I would say. I would say my current favorite author, Chuck Palahniuk, anything by Chuck, I'm going to mm -hmm. read. Uh, Fight Club, Pygmy, anything by him, I'm going to check out. Uh, but probably, I would still say Invisible Man. If it, if I have to choose one of all time, that'd be the one. And how do you spell the gentleman's last name? E-L-L-I-S-O-N. E all right. I'll yep. make a note of that. Eventually, when I get through my backlog, I'll try to pick it up. <laughs> yeah, you'll enjoy it. It's a good read. Uh, second question. What is something people would or would have been surprised to learn about you? Hmm. Would or, um, people oftentimes are surprised by my family story, the roots that my family has had down here since the early 1900s. That's usually something that um, surprises people quite a bit. And on my father's side, this also surprises people too. Um, law enforcement runs deep, three mm -hmm. generations of it. My grandfather was actually a Miami Beach police detective back in the 1930s. And I have newspaper articles written about him. It's, they're so cool. Uh, they're like <laughs> his old dime novels, but written about true crime. And he had a photographic memory. So he would memorize all the license plates of, you know, criminals wow. or whomever, whomever they're looking for. And sure. it was the old days where there's a running board, the floorboard, you know, on the car. Mm -hmm. So he would commandeer it. If he saw a license plate, he'd commandeer it, stand there and follow that car. Uh, so there's all <laughs> these articles written about him. So then you got, as my grandfather, you got my father, you've got four uncles, you've got my brother, you've got three cousins are all cops or a couple of fire rescue folks mixed mm -hmm. in from really Miami to Deerfield Beach. So that, yeah, my dad's side of the family, very big on that. Wasn't Any reason why you weren't attracted to, to, I guess, law enforcement or first responders? Almost the same kind of thing that I got out of journalism for, uh, just <laughs> the right. stuff you see, the stuff you deal with. I went on two ride-alongs because I was thinking about it, you know, it's the mm -hmm. family trade. So I did two ride-alongs, did a midnight shift twice, 11T to 7A. And my goodness, I mean, the things that I encountered in only two shifts and, you know, these people are doing it for 30, 35 years. I mean, I, we, we came upon an infant who drowned, uh, you know, to see something like that. Um, another uh, armed robbery, and we were kind of involved in chasing. Like, I just, I, no way. This is definitely not for me, not a chance in the world. I have the utmost respect for it. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't for me, for sure. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, next question. And I, I think I mixed a couple of them. so. That's okay. You answer two questions that the previous person answered, and that's all right. Who or what has inspired you or your academic journey? Who or what? Well, I guess the, the what would definitely be, I refer my class, I talk about this in my class too. Mm -hmm. I, I'm an open book in my class. And I think that's something that the students connect with, you know, because in my class, we talk about mental health issues, self-talk, a lot of these things. And that was one of my bigger problems. Um, you know, so I, I keep going back to that time. So the what would be, I think, just that time I went through lighting a fire under my keister to just, sure. you know, start doing something and finally found a discipline that I really enjoyed. Um, so that would probably be the what as far as the who. 
Um, my parents, I would probably have to uh, definitely give them a big shout out as well. Uh, I mean, they stood by me, you know, though the, the second round was on my dime. They, they paid the first time, second round's on me. Uh, but, you know, they still had my back. They were very supportive. You know, if there was a time or two where the rent check was looking like I wasn't going to make it, they'd help out here or there. Um, so, yeah, I would say certainly without the time I went through and without them, I, I, wouldn't, well, I wouldn't be alive first. So I couldn't be sitting here talking as a professor. So I would say those, yeah. That's wonderful. Uh, what is your favorite type of cookie? <laughs> I have to say that in my head that there's one right answer to this. Just one right answer. Um, chocolate chip. Uh, yeah. We will, we will continue chip. this conversation. <laughs> How do you feel yeah. about double chocolate chip? I see that to me, it's a little much. I think it's good. It green. is. Thank you for it's saying that. Green. I think that green. that's hubris <laughs> that, you yes. know, the chocolate chip cookies were created to be enjoyed as such. And I when agree. you overdo it, it's like eating Ortolan or you know, I, something yeah. that you, you shouldn't be doing. It's Don't too be much. Greedy. Have yes. your chocolate chip. Move on with your day. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> what movies, if any, make you cry? Boy, I'll extend a, that to movie slash book. Yeah. Movies? Oh, man, I'm a film buff. I could, we oh, could do okay, this then we'll keep it to for, movies. For weeks on films. Make me cry. Um, documentaries. are my, That's my favorite genre is a documentary. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's lots of documentaries that are just incredibly poignant and touching. I'm trying to... Um, what was the, he was the football player for the New Orleans Saints and he developed, I believe, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And it's a good, it's a great documentary about his life and how he kind of was fighting through it. And it's a really up close look at it. Um, and I wept openly in that one. I mean, that's not mm -hmm. the most recent one probably, but that one just kind of jumped in my head. Uh, but I actually, I, I cry rather easily with the film. So uh, that's, I could go a lot about this question. Sometimes we'll be watching a film and my wife will look over at me are you crying? Is that a tear in your eye? <laughs> no, fine. <laughs> but and it might be one of the most ridiculous thing. It might even be sad. It might be, you know, two long lost best friends rediscovered each other 30 years later and they're embracing and it sure. could happen. It might happen. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not uncommon for me to weep with the film for sure. Fair enough. <laughs> if you could be serenaded by anyone, who would it be? This one made me smile. Oh boy. Wow. That's a tough one. All time, living, dead, all time? Uh, the question doesn't say. It's, it's the individual's question, so I will respect it. Uh, oh, boy. We'll, we'll um, take your interpretation I'm going to break it down in two ways. I'm going to go that. historical and current. Uh, current, I would, man, it's between two. It's between the Avid Brothers or Band of Horses for the current one. I'm not sure. I got to choose between those two. The Avid Brothers, I would say. Present right. day, I would take the Avid Brothers. All time, historical. Um, well, it's still alive. Uh, Led Zeppelin, I would say. I mean, still with us, but not as a band. So I'd probably say those two there. All right. Fair enough. And if you could vacation anywhere next weekend, where would it be with whom and why? Australia, the family to surf. Easy enough. Yeah. My boys are into it now, too. My boys love surfing. How old are they? Into the, the ocean. They are nine and eleven now. All right, um, so they're, they're my right stepsons. In. Okay. Yeah, they're I came right into in their the life when they age. were. Oh yeah, yeah, they're loving it. I came into their life when they were three and five. Um, so we've been together for quite a while now. But yeah, they're they're ocean dudes, just like I was growing up. If, <laughs> if it's water, it's for them. So yeah, that would definitely be the family has to be there though. I'd love to see the stoke on their face surfing in Australia. Sure. There yeah. was a. I don't know if you saw that documentary, but it was. 
Oh boy. Um, it was made by, I think, Jimmy Chin, who is a National Geographic photographer about mm -hmm. surfing under the Aurora Borealis. Oh, no. No, it is. Surfing in the Arctic? Oh. I can't remember, but it was freezing cold outside, and you have mm -hmm. the beautiful Borealis, you know, dancing above you. Oh, and it, it was, I was drawn to it from the photography point of view of how on mm -hmm. earth did they manage to get this footage of, you know, it, when you're taking photos at night, you have to, I guess, expose for different parts of the sky or whatever it is that mm -hmm. you're trying to shoot. So if you expose for the Aurora, which is brighter, then you're going to completely lose out anything, you know, that's perhaps in the ocean, an individual that's surfing around. And right. if you expose for the individual, then the aurora is going to be completely blown out. Yes, uh, to bridge that gap. I have no idea. So I, I, have, I still don't know how they managed to do that. But check that I'll try to see if I can find it. I can't remember the name. Sounds right up my alley. You might sure. enjoy it. Uh, there was another one. Uh, this one was the story or a documentary of... An individual who quit his job, took a boat from somewhere in the United States, or maybe he flew to South America, or he took a boat from Miami, some, something or the other. He got on a yacht and went all the way down to Terra del Fuego in Patagonia, like mm. deep Patagonian country. And it, he met up with Yvonne Chouinard, who is the CEO and founder of, I think, North Face or Patagonia, <laughs> one of the two big companies. And then the other one, the other gentleman that he met up with was the CEO of the other company. So Patagonia and, and, and North Face, they had bought out land from the country, thousands of acres of land, and turned it into just a national park. Beautiful. And they wanted to maintain it as it was for future generations and for uh, gauchos and people that were living there on the land, they didn't want the rivers to be dammed because it mm -hmm. would mess up with the, the flora and the fauna. And it, it's the guy, you know, runs into issues with his boat and the, the mast caps or the mast breaks off in a, in a heavy swell. And eventually mm -hmm. he ends up on an Island uh, surfing the entire time. So I, I think you might enjoy Sounds that like as well. Fortuitous error or <laughs> It, Thank you. Broke yeah. the past. <laughs> Whatever happened to cause that. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, I read that story though. I remember the uh, story about those two gentlemen, uh, mm -hmm. kind of the two CEOs of larger companies. I do recall um, peripherally that story for sure. Not the documentary, but yeah, I'll look into that too. They have, I know that on Netflix, they have documentaries on them themselves. How they were the first people to scale Half Dome and the North mm -hmm. Wall in Yosemite and how they were basically manufacturing their own tools because nothing at the time was available that would mm -hmm. allow them to climb steep granite walls. Everything up yeah. until then was like for steep mountain climbing where you have some footholds or whatever. But if you're trying to cl uh, climb a steep wall, then mm -hmm. there wasn't anything at the time. So they were fashioning their own tools out of, uh, well, one of them said that he became a metalsmith just so he could make his own crampons so amazing to me like how it, like there's nothing that exists how do you even to, you know like <laughs> it, I, it's one thing if someone's done it and you tweak it sure. but to, there's nothing and you just from here develop the thing that's amazing too because you want to climb a granite wall yeah, yeah. if you're <laughs> trying to say start? yeah that i don't know how that gets inside your head in the first place but anyhow 
I'll, yeah, I'll never, see if I can find both those documentaries. Yeah, please, please do. Last question for you. What title would you give this podcast and or this episode? The title would I give this? Um, I would, well, I mean, I'd probably have to say cool cucumbers and floral shirts or <laughs> cukes and sandals. Cukes and sandals. Cukes and sandals. I like that. Cukes and sandals. <laughs> that works out well. <laughs> right up. That works for your episode. Any suggestions for the podcast at large? No, this was great. I'm really glad you did this. This is very cool. I think uh, everyone's going to dig it. We you know, start listening to these things. That's, I think this is a great concept just to kind of make the campus even a little bit smaller. It's very cool. I hope so. Yeah. And is that your fancy new microphone you alluded yes, to? This the is the, uh, the new microphone that my students said, hey, so we like your sound, but it's not deep enough. And it, it doesn't sound like you sound in person. Mm-hmm. So the, the old microphone that I had, uh, oh, I still have, I haven't lost it out, but the old microphone was a little too tinny. And they gotcha. said we could hear the road noise and we don't want to hear all that stuff. So yeah, no one's going to take you seriously or listen to your podcast if you don't sound like yourself because people are, yeah. uh, are, are well, they're, it's going to be disorienting. And that was my justification to my, to my CFO, my, my significant <laughs> other. And I said, hey, I, I don't want people to be disoriented by my voice. So I think That's we it. need to buy a new mic. It's great. Sound great. Thank you. Looks very professional. Uh, it does the part. all right well thank you very very much for your time i do appreciate it and thank you uh, enjoy the rest of your afternoon all right likewise see you around take care take care bye-bye i hope you enjoyed that conversation with dave as much as i did here's a sneak peek of friday's episode no let's get our hands dirty Let's go dissect a a human stomach and see what they had for lunch. That was what we were doing. One of the best things about that experience was... Hear the rest of that story and much more on Friday. Until next time, for another 94 times, take care.